Good morning from Coolidge, Arizona. On the 14th of April, we're halfway through this month. That's amazing. And we're still alive. We are in Acts chapter 17. We begin today with verse 10. I want to begin with a statement or two introducing this section. One is that according to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, God wants you. God wants everyone. And he has cleared the way so that every man, woman, and child can come to him through Christ. And in that vacuum that he has in preparing and cleaning out the way so that there are no hindrances in anyone coming to him, we have the voice of the bride and the spirit saying, come. The bride being the church and the spirit of the church in agreement saying, come and drink of the water of life freely. Well, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, Jesus said, by the way, that passage in Revelation is Revelation 22, 17, and uh, he talks about being thirsty. Now, I had a talk one day with my horse, We used to have a horse out on the farm. And I sat down and I reasoned with that horse that it needed to drink some water. And no matter what I told that horse, it would not go to the water. Because what was needed for that horse to go to the water was to be what? Thirsty. Thirsty. Oh, you guys are so quick. And noticing... And those who are thirsty come. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It makes people thirsty. So last week when we were talking about the education of the heart, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. There has to be preparatory measures in order to instill in people any value to the academic approach to the Bible. You have to, first of all, be the salt of the earth. That makes people thirsty. That means they want it. They crave it. I can talk to that horse all day about the science of mathematics and about the science of the universe. It won't move that horse toward the water until it gets ready, and it will be ready when it becomes what? Thirsty. You got to be thirsty. Don't forget it. You have to want to learn of the things that can make a difference in your life. You have to change your wanter. We have to create a desire in people. That's what the heart accomplishes. The capacity of the heart 
is that that is the seat of desire. And we have to enhance that desire before legitimate learning can take place. You cannot educate the horse until it has a desire. Now, let's remember that God's desire is for you. He has cleaned and cleared the way of all of the hindrances of coming to God. You can be in God's grasp today. If you're not there, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. But it's the church's business, being the Bride of Christ, to create that desire. You do not do it academically. That's why in Hebrews, and I don't think maybe it's, I think maybe it's chapter 5 or 6, I'm not sure, but he says the time for milk is gone and now we need some meat. Well, we concentrate on the, on the meat but we've got to remember that milk comes first. Preparatory and developmental. What's that? Developmental. That's right. That's a part of the development. And, uh, and so the heart has to be prepared. You know, I, I want to go over just, uh, just a second. Let's go to Matthew 5. Um, this is a little bit of a short rabbit trail. <clears throat> But I want you to notice that when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, in, in the Beatitudes, now remember that what, what Jesus is attempting to do is to show you how you can be just like he was. He's developing for us the ideal man. Now I mean the ideal man. And he says the first step in becoming an ideal man in chapter 5 and verse uh, 3 are those who are poverty, pov uh, in poverty in spirit. That means that they have a hunger and a need. That's what that word poor means, that without anything. That's the spirit in which you must have in your life to be of any value. And he said, the, the thing is there, you will be contented if you first of all, oh, well, think about that. He starts his ministry into his disciples with conditions of the heart. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Secondly, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. That's having a sensitivity toward the things of God, developing that sensitivity. That's of a heart. You don't educate people to, be, to have feelings. Not primarily. We can do that secondarily. But first of all, we have to have our heart trained to be sensitive to other people, and particularly to the heart of God. And verse 5, Blessed are 
the gentle or the meek. It means those who are trained. And then verse 6, and that's as far as we'll go, because it goes on, and all of these are conditions of the heart. They are what produce a contentedness that people without these factors never achieve. Never achieve. Never achieve. Did I say that before? A couple of times. A couple of times. Blessed are those in verse 6 who hunger and thirst. In verse 6. For righteousness. Now he didn't say blessed are those who have all their thirst and all of their hunger satisfied. Blessed are those who understand all of what it is in righteousness. He didn't say that at all. He's giving them a preparatory format for becoming a contented type of people. And he deals, all of these are conditions of the heart. That's why I said last week, without the education of the heart, we may as well close doors, throw away the key, and never come back. These aren't necessarily, you know, in, you know, good things. It's not, it's not a really good feeling to be poor in spirit or no so sensitive. It's but it's where you put yourself when you're in that position. What what is your, what is your, the basis of your desire comes out of your spirit, and if you're poor, what do you want? Something that fills whatever's hungry. Yeah, That's why it's an education of the heart. Filling that spirit, filling your spirit. Filling your spirit, and of course, you, you know, um, um, academically, that means that God's spirit comes to us through His Word, and we want our our heart filled with the Word that satisfies that hunger and thirst and that poverty of spirit. It means to always be teachable. The word poor in spirit is really receptive of what's right. And there are conditions here. We understand that. But he's talking here about the disciples. How you can become an ideal man is not by getting a Ph.D., I guess you didn't get that. Don't tell that to Dr. Luke. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he had his, uh, an educated heart as well. So let's go to our text in chapter uh, 17 and verse 10. Now that's, we always start with what we consider the most important thing of the day, and we're going to build on that statement today in verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. Remember they had had a conflict in Thessaloniki and so we picked we pick up from where that happened last week in verse 10. And they went to Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> well, does it make any difference what it says? Yes, because they didn't go to Yuma, they went where? They went to Berea. Yeah. Now, Berea is also in Macedonia. And they came into, well, 
Paul says, you know, we've had a rough time in Thessaloniki. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take 10 days off. Now, there's nothing wrong with him taking 10 days off. That's not what he did, though. That's not what he did. You can read into that anything you want, but what it says is that he went directly into the synagogue, the the source of agitation of the Jews. He went and stirred it up, stirred the pot a little more. Yep, yep, he's got to stir it up. Now, in verse 11, we don't want to read that verse because it's really not appropriate to you academians. (laughs) These were more noble-minded because they knew all the ins and outs of the gospel. No, folks, they were more noble-minded because they were adequately prepared, mentally, in their heart. Their whole being was prepared for the arrival of Paul, even though they didn't know Paul was coming. They were more noble-minded. What do you think about noble? More kingly. Mm -hmm. They were thinking like kings with great eagerness. Thirsty. 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 Because they were prepared. Their hearts were prepared. And so with a prepared heart, then they accepted what they heard and said, wow, that's good enough for us. We're going to go back to the bars. Is that what happened? You see, they, were, they had their hearts prepared. They had an eagerness and a desire to learn. Folks, that comes from the heart. It is, uh, that comes from the heart. It is not taught by what you know, although what you know ought to facilitate it. I'm not, I'm not ignoring the other. But our concentration has been on the education of the mind where the emphasis of Jesus and the apostles was the education of the heart. And we haven't a clue on how to do that. How do you create a desire? They, they kind of seem to play off of each other. They do. You start with your heart, and you take those, those feelings, and you analyze them you know, mentally, and then that comes back to your heart. And the, like, like these people, they study to see if these things were so. Oh, because they were anxious to see that they were so. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a back and forth. It's it is. A, yeah, and, what I, and that's a good point of emphasis here, Alex, because what I'm saying is that I'm putting my emphasis on the education of the heart only because we have so neglected it. Greg and I are working on a chart, but I'm not making much headway because I haven't got it to gel with yet. But he's starting. He's got the colors down. <laughs> you got my friend busy. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. clears throat> 
So um, we'll, we'll keep working on that. But here is an example of what we are attempting to say. There was something that went on that prepared these people. Their hearts were prepared for what they were exposed to. Too many times we start with education, academic education, and we wonder why we don't get anywhere. There has to be preparatory steps. Jesus told his disciples, you have to develop your heart. You have to have a disposition and a desire for being and becoming an ideal man. And one of the ways that we do that is we have to get thirsty. The, those who hunger and thirst. And there has to be a thirst created. He says to the early people in Matthew 5, you are the disciples. You are the salt of the earth. That is, you are the ones who create a desire for what we're doing. You are the one who, who create the thirst for the horse to seek water. Are we in the business of being the salt of the earth and creating a desire in people for wanting to hear the truth? I said we should have skipped this verse. Yeah. <laughs> they were examining them. They received the word. They didn't just hear it. They received it. They embraced it. And they did so with what? Eagerness. That's disposition. That's attitude. That is what comes out of the heart. They were wanting this thing to be true. And so they went to the scriptures to see whether these things were so. Is this really the way it is? Well, that's good news. That means that God has cleared the way. There's nothing between us and Him, and through Christ we can enter into His presence. The Spirit and the Bride were saying, Come. There was a desire, a real, genuine desire. That's what I see missing in most of our churches today is that heartfelt, heart-created desire to be eager about the things of God. This is the elusive formula everyone's looking for. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to deal with that. Yeah. There, there are so many that deal with one side or the other, the mind or the heart, but they don't combine the two. We've got to get it combined. That's right, Greg. A lot, a lot of thought are just emotion-based. They make you feel good. Yeah, but they're not giving you the, the meat of the word as well. Well, a desire of the heart makes you eager for what's right, mm -hmm. eager for the truth. If it's just feelings, that's just lust. 
They fade in a couple hours. They fade. Mm -hmm. So you got to have a bigger, 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 bigger. Every week it's got to be a little bit greater. Are you with me so far? All right, look at this verse. Because this verse is, we began this study, you know, these ideas last week. But this verse really puts it into perspective that these folks were more kingly, more noble, more elevated in their stature, individually, because they received the word eagerly, readiness of mind, See, the mind is secondary. Readiness of mind. They received in readiness of mind. They received what? They received what they needed to know with readiness of mind. They were prepared for it. And they searched the scriptures well, ever so often whenever they wanted to win an argument. We always think academically, I want to know this so that I can win this argument. Winning arguments is not the test of your heart. It's the failure of your heart. You want to win arguments if you're in one, but winning an argument isn't the proof that your heart is prepared to do what this, these people do, did here who were more noble than those in Thessaloniki. Nobility is a condition of the heart that prepares you to accept with readiness and with eagerness the things that you need to know. Now, don't get it backwards. So they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. They weren't being argumentative, they weren't being resistive. They were being accepting, but under the evidence of Scripture. Yeah, they weren't just bowled over. They weren't what? They weren't bowled over. No. They went and found out for themselves. That's right. That's correct. They weren't pressured. Their, the readiness of mind is key to this situation. It is really the readiness or the eagerness of mind. They were prepared. But you see, the readiness of mind isn't the education in itself. No. It's just they were made ready. Their mind was made ready to receive now, sometimes, I remember one time I was in a philosophy class, and I was really, and we're going to talk, talk about this down, down the way here a little bit, maybe not today, but um, uh, when we talk about um, um, Epicurean philosophy of life and the uh, Plato, Plato sense of life somewhere here in the text, uh, I was in a philosophy class uh, back at Rocky, and we were... Um, discussing that and 
I was really fascinated with this guy. <clears throat> Dr. Murphy was his name. I haven't thought of that for 50 years or more, 60 years, I guess. And <clears throat> I remembered his name just now. Isn't that interesting? So anyway, but I went into that class like a sponge. I can remember today his discussion of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophies of life. To this day, I could almost, I could almost transpose it. Because why? My mind was prepared for that particular subject. Now, I can remember other classes that I don't remember what I could remember, and which is nothing. But it's the development of a sponge to where you want to soak in everything you can. You want to pull everything in. That, that's having a sponge. And the Christian life is to create that situation in the world that we want people to feel like they're a sponge when it comes to what's right and, and the truth of what's right. That's hard. That's the part of education, Neil, we've missed, eh? Apparently. Um, I'm only responding to your earlier comment. Yeah. yeah. Um, readiness of mind. There had to be a desire created. The desires, all of the desires of man come out of the heart. If they're just feeling, Greg, then I would put that into the category of just lust, whether it's you know, positive or negative. Um, lust is simply a desire uh, that has a non-standard objective. Lust is not evil. We have lust, don't we? That God, God gave us. Thirst is a, you know, thirst for water is a lust. Uh, thirst for food, hunger for food is a lust. But they have no divine objective <clears throat> except for the preservation of life. So I think there has to be a distinction made there too. Anyway, in verse 12, and by the way, a, re a man's real thinking, real honest-to-God thinking takes place in a man's heart. Proverbs, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's the determining factor, not what you're thinking with your brain. I don't know where that is in Proverbs offhand, um, or I'd give it, give it to you. But um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Think about that. Could it could it be said that a lot of that, um, a lot of that teaching, a lot of that uh, develop, de developing of the heart, could you say that a lot of that comes should come out of the the family structure? Very likely comes out of the family structure. Structure, I think so. And it, because a lot of the Jews here had a strong family structure, sure. and that was a part of their preparation. 
they, they didn't get it because they knew more than anybody else. By the way, uh, Lana, if you're looking for that, if you find it, would you give it to me? Mm-hmm. I think it's in Proverbs. Watcher, prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> David, the thing that's interesting to me is that the message was the same where it was rejected. The message was exactly the same where it was accepted. Yeah. So the difference is the so, hearer. The hearer. The, and the hearer is determined, how you hear it is determined by your heart. Yeah. See my point? I do. Therefore, in verse 12, many of them believed. Now they had information. Because their hearts were prepared, now when the information was given to them, they, might, they can respond. They were convinced. And so they became believers. It's interesting here that believed is a in the in a punctiliar point action. Uh, it, it, that is a specific point of action, and um, it's they believed in in the um, active voice. Mm-hmm. They were the ones believing. They took the action, whereas Calvinism teaches that your belief is granted to you by God. God makes you a believer. These people were adequately prepared and they became believers when the information they had received compared agreeably to the scripture they were reading. It's like the lesson you gave a number of weeks ago now about you have to approach everybody from where they're at. True. And where these people were when they were approached by Paul and Silas was sounds it seems like light years ahead of just about everybody else. Yeah. Um, I would agree with and that. And once once they had the information, because they already had the, the the desire, once they had that desire fulfilled it was it was right then, right there. Yep. All at once. And as, as you talk, talk about the Beatitudes, Jesus began his preaching with the Beatitudes. That's right. Prepare the hearts of the people. Yeah. Unless that's where you start. If that was the case then, it, it certainly is today and every day. Well, it seems that way to me. Mm-hmm. It just seems like that. And it seems, it, it uh, is my observation that, did you not find that verse yet? No, could it be Ecclesiastes? Yes, it might be. It could be Ecclesiastes. Just let me know if you find it. Because I'd like to get it corrected for for, uh, Sharon's uh, sake. She transcribes all this stuff, and (laughs) if I don't get something right, she tells me. I'd rather get it right. (laughs) All right. So, and and notice we have three people, three groups of people in verse 12 that responded because they were adequately prepared. Mm -hmm. We have the Jews, 
first, many of them in the synagogue, synagogue, because that's where he was, that would be referring to the Jews, also of the honorable women, of which were Greeks, that is Gentile in this case, and then of the men, which would be what kind of men? Gentile men, because he's already mentioned those who were in the synagogue. That would be the Jews. So you have... Proverbs 23.7. Oh, Proverbs 23. Oh, that's right. I was right to begin with. How did you find that? I Googled it. Oh, you Googled it. Okay, for as a man thinks within himself, so is he. That's uh, Proverbs 20... What? 23.7. 23.7. Thank you. Good, we've got that cleared up. You know, I like what the rest of that verse says. We don't want to get carried off here, do we? But, he, okay. you know, he says, uh, somebody comes to you and says, eat and drink. But really, his heart's not with you. What is it with him? What, what, what is it that's not with you? If somebody says that, his heart. The heart is not with you. In other words, he didn't have any feeling about it. He's doing it to accommodate you. No heart. Just an accommodation. Well, let's go on. Proverbs is just filled with this matter of the heart, the heart, the heart. Now, that's not eliminating the mind at all. But 1 Corinthians says, get your mind and your singing together. He said, you know, in that case, I think the singing represents their emotions. So get it to agree. Bring it into harmony. All right, let's move on. So we have three groups. But verse 13, when the Jews of Thessaloniki, now we got problem coming out, you know, we have some illegal immigrants coming into our boundaries. <laughs> but when the Jews of Thessaloniki had knowledge that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came up thither and they stirred up the people there. Of course, that, those conditions would never exist anywhere today. But they don't exist anywhere today in relationship to the preaching of the gospel. Because the gospel isn't clear enough to stir up anybody. Nobody gets mad, sad, or glad. They're like Jesus who said of those folks, you play the flute, nobody dances, you know, no reaction, no response, no feeling. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. Just no response, no heart, no desire. Okay, verse 14. And then immediately the, the, uh, the brethren sent away Paul, as it were, to go to the sea. But Silas and Timothy abode there still. They stayed in where? Berea. Mm -hmm. By the way, in verse 10, uh, it seems to me like that's a 50 or 60 mile trip that they walked at night. That's a long walk, 50 or 60 miles. 
and through some pretty treacherous countryside, both by thieves and robbers and bandits and things like that. Okay, and immediately the brethren sent away Paul. Silas and Timothy abode and stayed with the folks in Berea. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. So now from Berea to where? Athens. Large, large city, seaport. I have flown into Athens 17 times. Some of them were from Egypt and other places, but going into that airport, and you go into that airport when I went in there in 1980, and you had, you walked down a row of soldiers on both sides are, that are armed in the Athens airport. They, they understood security. <laughs> I don't know whether it's that way anymore or not. I've been there for 30 years. Anyway, they conducted Paul, brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timothy for to come to him with all speed. And so Timothy and Silas now were left in, in Berea, but now there was a call for him to come to Athens. They had done their work in Berea. They had a, they, the church was greatly magnified under their short ministry. And while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. That's verse 16. Um, do, do we have any idea how long he was in Berea? Berea. Um, it would have had to have been a few days as the word reached, you know, quite a ways sure out. I, I don't know the answer to that immediately. Okay, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just curious as, you know, as to how much time they would have had to, you know, set up a church there uh, a structure uh, well there was there mm-hmm. was already a, apparently a gathering there mm-hmm. uh, and um, so it was a, it was a while and I don't know whether we can find out for sure we might not. but let me look at it okay. let me look at it it's a good question then certain philosophers oh uh, then they uh, therefore they disputed he oh no verse 16. Now, while Paul was waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. That is, this, his spirit, that which constituted who he was, was really disturbed, agitated by what he saw, and what it was he saw that agitated him was the city was wholly given to idolatry. Now that word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, not E-Y, just Y, um, means completely given over to idolatry. Well, now there is going to be fun. Paul going into (laughs) Athens. I've walked the walk. 
that Paul walked up to the ruins <clears throat> and with the idolatry of the idols on either side. <coughs> so he, he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. So there was a synagogue there He stayed there, disputed with the Jews and with the devout persons. And by the way, it's interesting to say that, you know, these folks were devoted people. They were devout. They really believed. And that word devout cannot exclude it from they were heartfelt in their belief. That's what devout means. It wasn't just knowledge. It was heartfelt. And they met in the marketplace daily. They met with him. Verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others some. He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. You think about that. Now, the Epicureans, let's look at these, then then we're going to have to close. But the Epicureans, that's going to take some preparatory work. Paul's going to have to be careful about how he addresses these folks. Aren't these people in in this time, in this place, some of the greatest thinkers in history? They were. I mean, their intelligence was. That's not what he worked. That's not what Paul worked on him. That was. That that's, that's not what he. That's not what he. What he. What he went. What he brought to these people. He's br- bringing, you know, instruction of the heart. Oh, they, that's right. They were highly intelligent. That wasn't enough. They were the learned people. They were the educated folks of that time. Now they they still asked what you know they wanted to know about it, but. Well, and that's that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. That's where they were. And these people represent the extremes of of the idolatry community, uh, idolatrous community. They were the extremes. The Epicureans believed that the highest good was only secured through pleasure. Now. The founder of Epicureanism believed that that highest form of pleasure was intellectual. Now, I want you to gather that. That information, intelligence, the highest form of Epicureanism was by the founder intellectualism information the highest good only secured that level of pleasure now his adherence 
changed that and broadened it out to meaning all types of pleasure became the objective. But it sprung from the idea that they had uh, of the founder. It came out of that idea that all pleasure was intellectual, was the gaining of knowledge. Folks, we have a lot of Epicurean people in the church today who are following the principles of, uh, of the founder of Epicureanism to the hilt. We don't have so many who are following his followers. In the church today, we do have them in the world today, is that the highest good can be found only in anything but intellectualism. But remember, Epicureanism began that all, and by the way, a lot of our, a, a lot of our, a lot of our religion today is, is based off of um, uh, Rosicrucianism and other religions like that are based on the Epicurean approach to life that intellectualism is supreme. Education is, knowledge is supreme. It's godlike in and of itself, no matter where it comes from. Now, keep that in mind, and then on the other hand, and we'll have to close, the Stoics were the very opposite. Their highest good could only be found in a complete self-discipline. Do we have that extreme? We have that extreme in politics today. It's the same thing. Epicureanism, highest form of good, is in intellectualism. The Stoics, and and of course it drifted down into including any any, um, desire. But the Stoics believed that the highest good could only be found in a complete self-discipline. It was the denial of natural and necessary desires. All of the desires of man had to be denied and controlled. That's Stoicism. We still have these two extremes in the world today, though they have been modified a lot like Calvinism has been modified to become more acceptable. Now, when Paul started with these people, he did not dabble with the philosophy of these two extremes. He didn't say, now I'm going to tell you folks why Epicureanism is wrong, and I'm, going to, I'm not going to start by telling you why Stoicism is wrong. He didn't begin that way. He didn't, he didn't challenge their intellect. He did not challenge their intellect. And we're going to leave it at that. Father, we are thankful for a good time in the Word today. We're committed to just being solid in the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.